Hello to our audience on the Livestock Leaders podcast, powered by the Livestock Collective. It's Millie here, your host, and I'm back with Charles Vaughan, who's an export and pastoral vet based out of Queensland. I've got Charles on with me now. How are you, Charles? Good, thanks, Millie. How about yourself? I'm good, thank you. We'll get cracking. We do start each episode with the exact same question. That is, what are three words that you would use to describe yourself with? Um, probably go oh, type A, fastidious to the point of annoyance to some people sometimes, and then uh, I think probably for a third one, uh, passionate um, down the right channels as well. Hoping to get some of that passion across in today's episode, Charles. So tell me a little bit about yourself. You're a vet. I believe you're in Townsville at the moment. How did all of this come about? Yeah, so I'm uh, a vet as of uh, oh, about a couple of years now. So I finished I finished down at CSU in Wagga uh, halfway through 2020. Um, probably had my energy pointed pretty squarely towards uh, entering um, export and pastoral services for the majority um, of the degree until COVID arrived um, just before sort of final rotations, final exams and the and the uh, cattle vets that were going to essentially take me on pretty much said, look, it's all getting a little bit shaky up here. Um, Southeast Asia's not looking great. If something else uh, came about, I'd probably, probably go for it. Um, and just by chance, I had a mate chasing a hand um, to run a development project at the base of Cape York. So I sort of cut my losses, packed my ute um, and headed, yeah, headed up to um, the base of the Cape and took on a land clearing and uh, cropping development project up there. Uh, and then from there, I just, uh, I suppose I made a few phone calls, tried to upskill, um, I suppose, tried to get a few accreditations and whatnot. To, to be honest, to, to not much avail. Uh, no one wanted to know me um, and, and that was fine. So I just went out on my own. I've got some, got some hats made, some stubby holders printed, some business cards and fridge magnets and sort of just started whacking them in the odd uh, post box um, on the side of the road and took out a, luckily there was a local uh, shire, uh, I suppose, paper that had free advertising in it. So I put an ad in there and the phone started ringing. So I suppose that's where it started. So I've never actually worked for another vet. So I just went out from my, um, on my own from the onset, been lucky enough to have full-time employment around that. And then, yeah, that sort of just expanded from, I suppose, preg testing to a bit of feed yard consultancy um, and most recently shipboard services. Wow. Charles, how did you back yourself in? Like you said that no one else wanted you and all of a sudden you went, bugger it, I'll just do it myself. What was going through your brain or nothing? You just thought you just need to do it. Fake it till you make it. Simple as that. No, I just <laughs> walked, in a, walked, in a, walked in a set of yards and, you know, you, you sort of, you only know what you know, you don't know what you don't know. So, yeah, just uh, just sort of did what I could and went definitely, you know, spent a lot of time. Uh, if I, wasn't, I wasn't sure on anything. I've, I've sort of had a big... Big, I suppose, principle. If someone asks me something crushed so and I can't answer it, I don't, I don't dance around the fact. I tell them that you know I'll go home and have a read and I'll get back to them. Um, you know, it's just yeah, that's that's just how I did it. I suppose I had a very casual, cross-side manner. Also, I wasn't doing awfully, um, awfully technical things. Generally, just preg testing. So no, I just yeah, surrounded myself with the right people. Um, spoke to a few people and sort of you know to get the business side of things sorted and the bookkeeping and all those bits and bobs. And um, and yeah, one thing sort of just led to another. 
And Charles, is it still just yourself or, or do you still seek all that external help with the, with the book work and whatnot? Uh, so it is. Well, it's myself on the day-to-day, -day, I suppose. I do, I, I do have a bookkeeper just because I'm pretty bloody hopeless in that regard. Um, but, yeah, it's only, it's you know, it's, it's, it sounds like a lot more than what it actually is. It's only a, it's a, well, it's maybe a little bit more than a hobby, but it's only a part-time gig, as I said. I've, you know, I've, I've got full-time employment, um, which is the, you know, 95% of my time, I suppose, and then um, and then fit in, fit in a bit of the uh, veterinary work around the sides. So, yeah, so day-to-day, -day, I'm actually an exporter, um, I suppose, in the same camp but on the other side of the fence and do yeah do sort of operations procurement logistics and the like for an export company but uh but yeah it um i suppose the the beauty of having the veterinary ticket on the side is it allows me to dabble in a few other things yeah absolutely so as a, a vet in the live export industry like you just spoke about logistics and, and whatnot but you you do travel on board the vessels is that right yeah i just got off one uh, i just got off a breeder voyage um from uh Oh, started in WA, then picked up a few more in uh, Portland, Victoria, and then over to China, um, Tianjin, which is essentially the, the port for Beijing. Um, completed that as a little bit of a wet season wedge. Um, was lucky to be able to do that. Um, it fit in well um, with our, you know, usually doing Northern Cattle into Southeast Asia, and naturally we have a bit of a lull over the wet period uh, when cattle are hard to get around and whatnot. So... It worked out very well, actually. So yeah, that uh, that that filled in the last couple of months and sort of just got back to my desk um, as of sort of last night, really, uh, back in Townsville, and get back into the get back into the operation side of things, and then uh, yeah, and see what the you know see what veterinary um, contracts come up as the year progresses, I suppose. Yeah, tell me about this ship. Um, you say breeder cattle were they were they dairy beef cattle, and what sort of operation were they going to in China? Uh, so it was a mixed voyage of a uh, mixed consignment of um, all breeders, but I think it was about fifteen and a half thousand head. I'd say seventy five percent Holsteins, um, and then the remainder made up of Jerseys, mixed breed dairy animals, um, and then Black Angus, Hereford, Red Angus. Um, a few Wagyu's and then a few mixed beef that sort of looked a sort of a semi Hereford cross, um, anywhere from mainly ranging probably from 280 to 380 kilos, all up to a few heavier girls, probably at about 560 kilos, and a few pregnant animals amongst them. Uh, and then they're heading, yeah, they're heading over to they're heading over to well, they're in China now, and they'll be used for they'll be used as as breeders um, in their own systems over there. Well, I haven't, I don't in my day to day job, I um, I don't haven't done anything with China. My colleagues have done a lot of work in China, but I sort of I haven't been in market and don't don't hundred percent know what they're getting up to. But I know they're going over there with the desire um, to make their own carbs. Yeah, it is a story that the livestock collective has been looking at sharing that breeder story because they're not actually falling under SCAS and that management along the supply chain and the systems that they go through is something that we want to be you know, on the front foot of conversations about. So on the on the vessel, what was your role like? Um, you said you spoke about pregnant animals in there. How are you looking after them? Uh, so, yeah, so they're the, they're the one essentially that uh, creates the um, box to be ticked that a veterinarian has to be on board. Um, so I suppose my day-to-day -day on the vessel was similar to that of an accredited stock person um, in which we sort of, we split the load up into um, into the 
government mandated um, amount of animals to run your daily checks over each day. But I suppose I'm also, a, well, I hope I was uh, an approachable, um, I suppose, resource, someone, you know, more than open to discussion on treatments, um, you know, and then also I did I did try and find the extra time to get back over the entire boat when I could and just make sure that things were sort of happening how, how I'd envisage them, I suppose. Um, and then I suppose there's a few extra the beauty of having a couple extra skills, you know, if one, if one was to die, I could do postmortems and provide presumptive diagnosis. Um, I could act as a, as I suppose, um, a liaison back to head office in regards to broader um, sense of health and welfare. And then, yeah, it's just, it's just, it's, yeah, definitely. I, I don't know how other vets carry themselves on a vessel, but I definitely didn't um, didn't separate myself from the camp. We all just got along, and I suppose I just had that uh, that basis of knowledge that was hopefully able to answer a few questions when they arose. Yeah, excellent. Thanks for sharing that, Charles. I want to talk about uni. Um, I, I I'm not a vet myself. I haven't studied at, at CSU, but. I know that in other universities, I've had discussions with students who are frustrated by the lack of live export content in the degree. How did you find it? Was live export something that was taught? No, nothing. Nothing. uh, You get a few like in your sort of those broader uh, opening year subjects, um, you know, where you talk broadly about industry and whatnot. Um, I suppose it was touched on, you know, there might have been a few slides on this many cattle leave Northern Australia each year to head to these markets to achieve this. But as for, as for you know, the, the AAV process, getting that accreditation, um, what would be uh, expected of you um, if you were to do AAV work, shipboard services, um, pre-export preparation, like, no, there's nothing, nothing in that regard at all. Um, not that I can remember anyway. I'm... Probably not the right person to ask. I didn't spend, yeah, didn't actually attend a whole lot of university, probably to my own detriment. But I, yeah, the bits I did go to, there was definitely no mention of um, of export. It was just sort of a, a thing that could potentially, you know, happen to Australian animals. But as for things that you have to know in regards to the industry, very limited. Yeah, right. But all of a sudden, you're in this industry. Has that has that been a good experience for you? It has. It has. It has. It was, it was far more beneficial than I could have ever expected. And I think it's definitely, and I suppose the, the selfish part of it as well is it'll definitely help my day-to-day work, having a better understanding of what happens. You know, usually I just, I just wave them off from the uh, wharf in Townsville, Darwin or in WA and sort of, you know, see once they once they go past the side gate up the loading ramp, that's, that's the last I see of them. But now I've definitely got another perspective of what actually happens what we can expect of people on board, uh, what we can do better, and this, that, and the other. So it's it's just it's rounded out, I suppose, the whole uh, the whole export journey to another another length. Obviously, the next step now is to get over and spend a bit of time in market and see what happens. See what happens at the end of it all. But yeah, it was uh, it was very beneficial, and you know, none of it. Uh, yeah, I suppose as for as for trying to not being taught about it and then being dunked in it, it's it's like anything. I'm pretty big on reducing everything back to first principles like they you know if they've got a sore foot doesn't matter whether they're in a set of yards in central queensland or they're on a boat it's still a sore foot and you're still approaching it you know there's obviously intricacies but you approach it in a similar way yeah i really um value that whole supply chain sort of attitude and that visibility and communication along the supply chain is something that we continuously talk about is there opportunity for you to get in market like you're saying 
Hopefully, hopefully, as the uh, as the restrictions continue to uh, slacken and um, and the world hopefully becomes more relaxed, then yeah, it's you know should just be another day at work. Hopefully, shortly fly over and spend a couple of days and fly back. But um, but definitely, you know, it's, I've I've only been in the industry a short time. Um, but I definitely know it's it's not so much taking its toll, but a lot of uh, more experienced and more knowledgeable people in the industry are sort of, you know, it's, it's, it is affecting day-to-day marketing um, and communication um, and I suppose customer relations not being able to get over um, just, just because I suppose. Um, and yeah, hopefully as, as the whole COVID saga continues and improves it, uh, it all resumes back to normal, but you know, we've been saying that for two years, so hopefully it's uh, sooner rather than later. Yeah, I know. It's getting frustrating. Um, yeah, it, looking forward to following your journey if you do happen to be able to get in market. I want to switch the conversation to a little bit more about how the livestock industry, particularly the live export industry, can communicate with the public. Um, first of all, do you think it's necessary that we do? Well, yeah, it's a, I suppose a bit of a tough one. It's I'm, I suppose, big on the whole, with, in regards to, I suppose, the whole advocacy, ag, advocacy sort of interface. Um, I suppose it's a, different people carry themselves in different ways. It's, it's, I'm very big on, yeah, being an advocate rather than an activist. Um, and that's just, that's just, I think, conducting yourself in a day-to-day manner, like just sort of coalface stuff, boots on the ground. If you can just do better by, the, if you can personally do better by the animal every day, then you've achieved it like you don't have to make a big song and dance about it because you've 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 achieved what you need to achieve and the whole uh the whole showing people this like it shouldn't it shouldn't have to be an outwards display um it should just be happening in the day-to-day and as for the as for us suppose the perceived country city divide or you know there's many different ways you can put it i suppose it's it's how people define that because you know i I don't i don't want to you know i don't need provisions or um I don't, any, I don't. I chose this profession. It's what I'm passionate about, and what I choose to do. Um, I think as long as you do it in the best way you possibly can, then everyone's free to their own opinion. Yeah, I agree. I think that you know, as an industry, if we're telling the public that what we're doing is fantastic, we need to hold ourselves accountable. The people who are actually handling the animals do have animal welfare as a priority. If you were to talk to someone from the city who has no connection to, you know, agriculture, what do what would you want to tell them? Is there anything specifically that you would want them to know about your profession um, as a vet and particularly involved in live export? Well, I suppose I've been pretty lucky to have stretched across a few different industries, ranging from uh, growing fibre in the form of wool and cotton, um, and then also producing food primarily um, in the beef sector, but it's as simple as that, you know, if they want to, you know, what do you do for us? Well, we feed and we clothe you. It's as, it's as simple as that. If you want to have a civil discussion about um, elements of such, or you want to know um, about certain things, then I'm more than happy to try and purvey what I, what I know um, and what I think is important. But as for the whole industry, yeah, having to, having to explain to people that don't understand what we do, like, you know, they've only got to sit down in a cotton t-shirt in front of a plate of food and they, sh- you know, if they're, if they're, uh, if they can't pick it up from there, then I think we've got far bigger dramas. 
yeah, some pretty scary um, stories out there about the the disconnect and um, people don't understand that, you know, milk doesn't actually come from the supermarket. It, it comes from cows and, and things like that. So I certainly think we have a bit of a challenge in some respects, but also a great opportunity in that there's, you know, a bit of research being done that people actually do want to know more about where their food comes from. And I think that there's maybe more awareness around that. Um, would you agree with that? What What do you think of the, the trends in food and fibre at the moment? Uh, I think I think a big trend, which it's a good thing, is um is this sort of gentrification of supermarkets where we have these um like these Harris Farms on the east coast, uh, Townsville. We've got a local mob called Otto's, um, and I'm sure there's other. I think Melbourne, where I used to go to um, school, there was one near there called Leo's, and they're sort of these. I suppose simplest way to explain them for people who haven't been to one is they're just like a Larry supermarket but they they, they they celebrate produce they celebrate I suppose both pros, provenance of products as well as potential um, artisanal products where like they're busy they're overpriced and they do exceptionally well because I think people like to see food celebrated like that um, I think that's I suppose considering a few you know having talked about doing this podcast and considering a few conversational prompts and stuff that's that in, on, on reflection that's what's really stood out as I suppose the biggest thing in in this um I suppose whole close the gap um debate between you know where where food comes from and I think these these new age supermarkets that are celebrating it um and you know putting a huge emphasis on displays um and you know you only got to go to I was in one of them after it just opened well a little while ago now, so 18 months, two years ago now, and um, you know, there's there's this carbon neutral meat. Doesn't really matter what you think of it or the notion of it. It's it's marketing brilliance in my eyes, and um, and they couldn't keep it on the shelves. So, you know, I do I do think I do think you have to pander to the consumer a little bit, but I also think the protein market is is awfully um, consumer driven. So so if they if they you know if you work out the product they want and you supply it, they're still going to buy it sort of regardless of the um, further efforts you go to. I think we've seen that in, in lots of meat industries in Australia now. You only have to look at pork, I suppose, and how lean it's become. It's because mass mass public, uh, mass public population wanted, wanted a leaner product and we pandered to it and, you know, now they might be turning around now and saying that taste has been impacted. But it's sort of, yeah, everyone knew, everyone knew that was going to happen when you started stripping the fat off them. Yeah. While we're on this topic, I want to get your opinion on fake meat and labelling surrounding that. Do you have any thoughts? I think you will. No. Oh. <laughs> no. Not, not, yeah. Not like I, the whole. Yeah. The whole labelling. Like. Oh yeah. It's. It's. I suppose it's. Yeah. You know, it's. It's meat or it's not. Uh, if you get duped at the supermarket. I, mm. Sorry, but I can't speak too highly of your intelligence. Like, you, you either know that it's meat or it's not. Um, doesn't matter how misleading the label is. There'll be somewhere that it either looks right or doesn't read right. Um, the whole, you know, I think there's, I don't know, the energy and whatnot being spent on the whole whole thing. And, you know, it, yeah, it's probably fair enough. The whole, you know, almond milk is it milk and whatnot. But, yeah, to be honest, like, I've drunk all those different milks and I've eaten all these different type of meats and I don't enjoy them so I won't buy them again doesn't matter what they're labeled as so you know you might, might have been expecting probably a more uh, educated viewpoint on that but now it's sort of yeah I definitely 
I don't think about it too much, to be honest. I think if we keep producing good red meat that tastes like red meat, no, that's the answer I was looking for. I think you've just highlighted that it is the consumer's choice. It's your own personal choice just as much as it is anyone else's. I think it has to be done, um, but I also believe that it can just be done by, you know, everyone just needs to commit to best practice because at the end of the day, that's what's going to uh, that's what's gonna create the best welfare, best economic returns for any enterprise. You're more than happy, I suppose, to discuss with anyone you know, any elements of agriculture, I've sort of, dip, I'm probably, you know, I'm, I might be regarded as a greenies worse not mayor. I'm a land clearing cotton growing live exporter. Um, but, you know, <laughs> I, can, I, can, I, can ju- I can justify it all and I have justified it to people and I'm more than happy to have a civil discussion about any element of what I do. And I think, you know, if I had, if I had qualms, I wouldn't be doing it myself. So yeah, um, no, so yeah, I suppose that summarises it to an extent. Yeah, I think it does. And I think you've spoken really candidly about your role and how it can perhaps be perceived, but that's their own personal choice. And you, um, the way that you conduct yourself in your own role is putting the animal welfare first. Is that like, you know, I think that's the key message that I've got from today. That if we as an industry can conduct ourselves to really high standards, then there shouldn't be, you know, problems. Exactly right. Yeah, you don't make you don't make any money from a crook animal or a dumb or you know, it's I know it's not what it's all about, but it's just it's in everyone's best interest regardless of yeah, you know, that you must do best by the animals on the day to day. Um and they won't thank you for it, but you'll see you'll see returns. It's I've, I've no doubt you can detect happy livestock. You can walk into a set of cattle yards and you can tell the difference between happy animals and unhappy ones. Yeah. I agree. Well, thank you so much, Charles, for jumping on board and sharing all of that with us. Good luck in market. I hope you get there. I hope COVID buggers off for us so that we can all open up. Um, and yeah, we'll chat to you again soon. No worries. Thank you very much for your time, man. As always, if you have enjoyed this episode, please make sure that you're going back and listening to all of our other episodes. And if you do want to join our collective community, you can do so on our website, thelivestockcollective.com.au.